Hey, welcome back to Rethinking Supply Chain. I'm your host, John Abrams. I lead an innovative company in supply chain called Venzi Technologies. We're based in Vancouver, Canada, and uh, also happen to be here in Chicago, Illinois today, where it is a balmy 89 degrees and the start of Lollapalooza. We have a guest today, Dr. Nick Bias, and I'll ask him to introduce his work uh, on the podcast in a second, but I want to call out Lollapalooza kids first, and and you may be interested in this, Nick, because you teach young people, and uh, I have some young people in my life. They're they're uh, young adults, and uh, Lollapalooza is this big sort of teen-focused rock concert in Chicago, and it takes several days, and it was uh, very crowded on the trains today, getting into the city. What I find interesting is that generation has to date ignored supply chain. And uh, somebody came up to me the other day and said, hey, we're starting to listen to your podcast because I want to know why every product I try and buy is out of stock. And it seems that it has something to do with the supply chain. And I laughed and said, well, you know, whatever reason you young people are listening to a supply chain podcast, uh, you know, that's awesome. So I just got a kick out of, you know, these, these youth of today who... Uh, ignore some of the fundamentals, because they should, of how business operates. It's hitting them in the face every day. You know, they can't buy their their product or their, uh, their uh, service or what have you that uh, isn't available because of odd demand. So, hey, Dr. Nick, if you could introduce a little bit about what your research is focused on, what you teach about, and then we'll get into... Uh, the meat of our our typical podcast, and really excited to have you here today. Thanks for joining. Well, John, thanks for having me. I'm the founding executive director for Kendrick Institute Global Supply Chain Management at University of Southern California. Let me tell you, the first time ever I was invited to talk to sixth graders no. in, LA, in LA Unified School District. And at one point, I'm really excited about talking to a bunch of sixth graders. And another end, I'm like, what am I going to say to them about the supply chain? Long and behold, an hour-long conversation. I probably had more profound questions from this group of kids than I do in my graduate classes. Oh, wow. I mean, so it gets to show you, I think the COVID has certainly created this unique sort of an experience for the humanity where their understanding of supply chain has deepened and there is a greater sense. And that's actually, I was surprised about the sixth graders. I think this is true now. Even the first, second and third grader, they would understand that if they don't get their supply or their toy or their games or something or the other, that there is something is wrong with the supply chain. So the word supply chain has been normalized during this pandemic that we were facing. Well, that, that's fascinating, um, and it, it uh, reminds me, uh, not too long ago, maybe just a few weeks ago, I was in a Walmart, uh, a big fan of Walmart, love the supply chain, uh, we work with Walmart, and a woman is pushing a, a cart, and there's a child in the you know, little basket of the cart, and it's asking for something, and the mother says, well, if it's in stock, and I thought, oh my God. There is, there is in the entire history of Walmart, that is not a thing that a customer has ever said it, if it's in stock. And what the child full well knew is the shelf might be empty. And so you may be quite right. First graders have a full appreciation of 
you know, there's no toilet paper in the shelves today, and that can happen. It is really interesting to me that we deal with a lot of intelligent people, uh, certainly on our team, but in our partners, uh, young people who are often dismayed or, or fascinated or intrigued by, gee, there's this entire aspect of business that I didn't know existed, and it's it's highly disorganized and it's chaotic and and in many cases it's not even digitized is that part of what your students are you know what is the thrust what draws them into one of your classes so i'm also the academic director for our masters of science in global supply chain management and we have two distinct group of people that we invite into this journey the one is a full-time students. So these are typically your undergraduate from various disciplines, you know, engineering, uh, arts and sciences. They have relatively one to two years experience. So they come in with some background of a business world uh, and they have some intention to really dive into the deeper end of the supply chain. And then the other group that we have called executive supply chain management. This other individual would be like myself who has a background in industrials and systems engineering, never knew a world of supply chain, uh, just ended up detouring into the world, supply chain world in corporate America uh, without realizing that there's a huge uh, universe that exists that never was taught in schools. No. Uh, and so we take those executives, they spend substantial time, 10, 15, 20 years of their lives doing things but never knew how overall structure of supply chain works. So we teach global supply chain management in international settings. How does this globalized economy works? What components have to be in place for it to occur, right? So this concept of even disruptions and the resiliencies and supply chain operations practices, we have been teaching that, why it is so integral part of pure understanding at the executive level so when you make the decision to outsource something, nearshore something, or onshore something, what factors should you consider? Why those factors uh, look, should be looked at it in different lenses? So we provide these two groups through 16 months journey through taking them to the landscapes of subject uh, to make sure that the way I frame this is that we'd like to diffuse 16 years of learning curves in 16 months. So you gave us a 16 months and we will give you the 16 years of learning curve and diffuse it to that. Yeah, well, it, it's, uh, I, I think once you get into supply chain, it, it happened to me, uh, but there, there was a thread throughout my entire career and it's been diverse. So I, I was trained as a journalist and, and started working for Chicago Tribune as a, as a young kid, but one of the things I was most fascinated with, and I, I really got into the technical side at Tribune Company back when media could have embraced the internet, or at least traditional print media. Uh, but it was always fascinating to me. We would have trains show up at one end of the plant and unload rolls of raw paper. And at the other end of the plant, you would distribute a newspaper to uh, you know a million homes in, in the Chicago region. Uh, so to do that in essentially real time, you're, you're, you're completing the entire production cycle all the way to somebody's doorstep in a period of eight hours. 
that's, that's a pretty amazing and tightly coupled supply chain. Whereas most products, they're, they're engineered, uh, there's a development process, there's, there, you know, you, you warehouse it somewhere, you ship it, all of that. That's not an eight-hour process. That's a, that's a much longer process. But once you get into supply chain, you don't get out, I think. And I don't think I've ever gotten out. And so it's interesting when you talk about these two groups that you appeal to. My guess is, my hope, actually, is that once you get them indoctrinated into the uh, supply chain that they may not have had a whole lot of exposure to in their career. I, I, I really hope, and I'm curious, do they get out or do they say, oh my gosh, this is fertile territory to apply my engineering expertise or my creativity or my you know, whatever my discipline is into supply chain to do some good. Are they doing this just to get the supply chain notch on their belt or are they trying to do something different? Oh, no, I think our philosophy is that we are really generating this new thought leaders in the world of supply chain, which is so pivotal to the human race and human, in our society. So I believe that our efforts over last this, I'm just getting ready to inaugurate my 10th cohort. Uh, so previous nine cohorts, these students are not only they come in with the passion, but they get out with an extreme passion to pick a portion of supply chain that they really fall in love with and they really do well with that subject matter. And similar to my experience, you know, as an industrials and systems engineer, uh, I always loved the optimization. So you gave me the complex problem. The more, the more complex it is, the more excited I have, I learned to become. But idea was always, how do we find the solutions? How do we optimize? in a very constrained environment and drive efficiencies. And when we look at the world of supply chain, even before the term supply chain was coined, you know, it was logistics and distribution and procurement, uh, sourcing, each of these things, organization, although it was never valued as much uh, because it was all behind the scene. You know, somebody's gotta do the dirty work, mm. boxes will move, productions will move, you know, we don't really have to do much about it. It just happens, right? And we throw bodies or the resources and we overcompensate uh, to overcome some of these constraints and inefficiencies. But long behold, as we became globalized and we continue to grow in this massive multi-continent networks, all of a sudden this friction was no longer the friction that you can avoid. This was a big enough to either make you be successful if you have less of it, or if you have enough of it, make you go bankrupt. And we have seen many companies that they did not build the core competency within the supply chain and the byproduct of that. And you name Kmart, and I actually had part of my journey, my life was Sears and Kmart. Yeah. I mean, in fact, I was part of that merger. And you know, so supply chain or lack thereof has shown that if you've been in the business for 100 years, does not constitute the guarantee that you will be there for the next 100 years. And what determines that is your supply chain. That's a, that's a really, uh, a really profound statement. And it's interesting because I talk about Sears. I'm a Chicago youth. I, I grew up here. And Sears, 
was always something that Chicago was very proud of. And, and we didn't do anything to draw Sears in the 1800s to Chicago. Sears was drawn to Chicago in the 1800s because it was a rail hub and you could get uh, river traffic and you could, all of the fundamentals of transit that Sears exploited to get their product distributed, all of that existed in Chicago. And so Chicago, uh, really, it was an innovative approach for Sears and then uh, later on Montgomery Wards to locate in Chicago, and they were the Amazons of their era. And in fact, you know, let's let's be honest, Sears still exists today. It is still a force. It's not what it was, and 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 the folks running Sears today are really just draining the real estate out of that. Uh, but the reason that you can drain real estate out of that enterprise for decades uh, as it's gone on now is because it was so massive. It was such a part of not just the U.S. economy, but the global understanding of how retail worked. So Sears, really quite innovative. But it, your point that 100 years of, uh, of operation does not guarantee your future, and Sears did not innovate when it came to supply chain. They anchored on the 1800s traditions of how you distribute using logistics a product, and that just doesn't, it doesn't function that way today. And I'm curious, how does COVID uh, and the disruptions that the pandemic, how are leaders interpreting that against supply chain value? Meaning, I think on I think you could make that statement that a company is going to win or lose based on supply chain, period. I think you could have said that 10 years ago. People would have said, yeah, but I don't know what supply chain is. Today you say that, and people see that, oh my gosh, an entire aisle of products is out of stock at some of the the largest retailers, whether it's online or physical. How is that being interpreted? Granted, we're not done with the pandemic. There are still... Uh, effects, uh, hampering supply chains all over the globe. How is that being interpreted either by your cohorts of classes uh, or by the leaders in Fortune 500 or Global 2000 organizations? How, how much has this, do you think, impacted their strategic future for the next, let's call it five years? So, you know, I've done substantial writings and talking on this subject called the disruptive technologies and impact on global economy. And I've been talking about these things for the last 10 years. So if you let's go back to our previous conversation of Sears and Amazon, I would actually even consider Sears in early 1900 to be much more innovative mm. and, and visionary than even what today's Amazon is mm. in a relative terms, right? Sears in back in 40s, 40s, 50s, and 60s was able to deliver prefab homes mm -hmm. like chickens uh, within their regional nodes that established. So this was a concept of a mail order uh, in the days where there was no technology to even communicate uh, was executed, right? And that wish book concept that everybody would wait days and weeks into it and use that as a 
sort of a pivotal moment of their life to look exactly what they want for holidays or, you know, somebody's birthdays. I mean, this was very innovative ways the company survived, right? But you look at those 1900 to 1970s, the evolution in the technology front, if we were to define it, that occurred once in a generation, mm. right? I mean, we were on the uh, not having any phone to the landline for 50 years, 60 years, right? Yeah, we keep upgrading the landline's phone uh, to rotary dials, to the dial tones and variety of models in between, but technology never evolved. Now we fast forward that to 1990 and into the 2020, right? And I'm going pre-COVID. Disruptions are every year, if not every two years, you're seeing some massive transformative forces getting introduced into this, right? The World Wide Web uh, internet was just a sort of a catalyst, but then you start to use other emerging forces that they're building on top of it. We're living in a society today that every three to six months, the technology almost evolved itself into the new frontier in a six month. So imagine now this disruptive forces and its evolution cycle reduced to six months. And if that goes to three and then month, I mean, the rapid pace of transformation that the ecosystem has to absorb is a one frontier that you're dealing with, right? And on top now you layer in this COVID that brought the entire supply chain world to the standstill, right? Does not matter which continent you're in, doesn't matter what your ethnicity, doesn't matter how affluent you are or third world country or resource constrained or resource plentiful, it did not discriminate anything, anybody. 882 countries, every life on this land, unless you lived living off the land, you were impacted in some ways. So you now you combine this two perfect storm combination, all of a sudden you realize the supply chain is something to be reckoned with, right? And I am not sure, John, that the leadership in a global 2000 has really grasped Mm -hmm. the impact that we're, we have faced, but more so the post-COVID, what the supply chain is going to look like. So the, this is a challenge that I've been proposing, you know, this decoupling forces that are working right now, which is going to challenge the leadership in the boardroom to say, you can no longer have the supply chain of last 40 years, that there were single string pinned in one country's hand from the raw material acquisitions, the manufacturing to your last you know, middle mile and the first mile, because you simply just a cheap and you don't have to really be held accountable for the consequences in terms of the regulatory compliances or the environmental consequences, because you can close your eyes and get away with it. Those days are gone. You're gonna be, you're gonna have to reckon with the fact that the shareholder, stakeholders, government and regulatory body will no longer allow you to skip through this process of accountability by you simply moving stuff somewhere so that you can wash your hands and say, I don't want to pay attention to it. So in a long-winded way, I think the post-COVID in five years, we're going to have a government with their public policy, ensuring the supply chains are not as fragile as what we have done in the last 30 years. So there has to be some policy-driven decision. We have seen 90-day 
review from the Biden administration. And I assure you 365 day review that they're gonna propose will have strong influence how some of the critical supply chains and few verticals will be designed and executed. Leadership will work, have, will have to work uh, with understanding that you can no longer risk your supply chains for just the cost. Sustainability will have to be a big piece of it. Resiliency has to be not just talked about it, but has to be built into your designs of your network and human capital. Last but not the least, you would have to have human capital in the supply chain domain that understand this massive confluence of technology that's growing up and evolving much faster. How do you absorb those ecosystems changes to, to, be, to integrate? So you're not chasing this trend, but rather you are staying ahead of it. I wanna thank you for a, a point here that has been very frustrating for me. And that is when I talk to enterprise leaders, the disconnect between the reality of what has happened to global supply chains and their embrace is uh, incongruent, uh, to say the least. And that's been very frustrating for me because I, I believe, as you do, if, if you're going to compete going forward, you are going to have supply chain as your advantage, your, your primary advantage. And so to express that to a leader in a large brand who doesn't quite understand or you see that sort of uh, deer in the headlights look. They know there's something to deal with supply chain, but they have no idea where to start. Um, I, thank you for giving me some comfort that that is not just unique in how I'm expressing the problem. That is the fact that leaders have yet to come to terms with just how significantly the world of business has changed as the result of bringing the pandemic-affected supply chains or the disrupted supply chains to the fore. So thank you for that. That's actually been uh, something that I could feel, uh, you know, a little bit more relaxed that, well, it's coming. It just will take longer than I, what I wish it would. Hey, we went through 20 minutes in the blink of an eye and didn't get to a lot of the things I want to talk about, especially, I know you've done a lot of work on AI, and I want to use our next episode to talk about that. So great talking with you, uh, Nick, and uh, we'll have you back for another episode soon. Look forward to it. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Rethinking Supply Chain, sponsored by Venzi. To stay up to date with our latest podcast releases, Follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter, and subscribe to our channel on YouTube. You can also learn more about the podcast at RethinkingSupplyChain.com. Thanks for listening.